been watching horror movies or what? Um, uh, got a few in so far. Um, I just finally actually saw, um, Get Out. I had seen Us, but I just, for whatever reason, I never watched, uh, Get Out. It was one of those movies I, I started watching with Molly. Yeah. She, she fell asleep during it, so I had to stop it, right? Sure. And then we have this problem where if we finish a movie, if we don't finish a movie and like we're like halfway through it or something, it just takes us a while to come back to it because it's like you've you've already put in the time, kind of. And she didn't fall asleep because it was boring or anything. She fell asleep because she was, you know, we we drink wine and we watch movies. So <laughs> I was like the last movie of a big marathon at the end. Yeah, that one's all right. So you, you can really tell it's his first movie. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some awkwardness. I like the um. I did like uh, the uh, sort of awareness of it, especially near the end. You know, I I liked how stuff kind of came together. I liked the friend being right the entire time. You know, there was some like there was some pretty solid payoff scenes in it. There's um, some kind of there's some kind of um. And it's not usually my thing in movies, but I feel like it worked out in this and us were like. The movie is clunky and kind of just um, relies on old movie tricks. So, for example, when he goes and he breaks free and get out from the basement, and then the dad is, like, leaning over the fire and giving a speech. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm like, okay, so now the other guy is going to come attack him, right? It's just, like, really um, wrote ways of building tension and not really exploring anything new. But the subject matter for me was super interesting. Yeah, I mean, Especially it was... Especially in the second one. I really enjoyed the second one. I enjoy the idea of, like, these... These people who... Like, they're called the Tethered, right? That's so cool. I enjoy the idea of this existence of these people who are tethered to the existence of their opposite, who live at the top of the capitalist food chain. And then that guy is, like... The dad is such a fucking buffoon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, I don't, it, it brings up a lot of like questions for me, and that's what's good about those movies. When I'm, they're not really scary. Yeah, um, it was. See, us was a us was certainly, I think, the superior movie, and the one that had me like thinking about it after I was done watching it. If that makes sense. Yeah, same. And and I always I always like a movie that sticks with you. Um, last year I had seen Hereditary, and it was fucked up. It is a effective movie for what it is yeah. doing, but I fucking hated every character in it and wanted oh, them to die. And that's a big problem with, like, okay, like, you have, like, your Jason and, uh, like, Jason, Friday the 13th style, <laughs> like, especially, like, later on, where, like, you're kind of, like, rooting for Jason because, like, the people are so shitty. And, like, mm -hmm. that's part of the fun because, like, the people who are making that Jason flick are, like in on the joke with you and then um and then there's ones where like you're trying to make me care about the plot thing and i just i don't care i want your terrible characters to die like they all just make dumb decisions the whole time the mom and her like just like i understand grief i've been there but like it was just like really lady like you're oh suddenly you're into the occult now because like your kids died and like and the one the one son like taking the uh, taking the daughter to the party in the first place her putting her head out yeah. a window it's just a series of like 
having to make the worst decision or these characters just making terrible decisions to progress an otherwise pretty effective movie, you know, like I can see that. I can see that a little bit. Yeah. So I wasn't, um, it didn't so, bother me as much as I think it bothered you. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, that one was another one I had to try twice to finish. And the first time I was like, this is dumb. I don't care about anybody. And then, you know, and like, it's compared a lot to the, the Babadook, the Babadook. I really liked, I found it quite effective. And like, yeah, she like her like struggle was super real, and I I liked the uh, kind of cerebral nature of it. But like Hereditary, which is compared to it, I'm like I just like the the mother mother stressing out and kind of being afraid of her own kid. I actually really get that. Um, yeah, like if you're like 4 a.m. and like you have a three year old kid that wanders into your room and you're in that half asleep state, like I have very nearly like. Like, just, like, wigged out and, like, just started throwing hands at my kids because they, like, catch me in the middle of this dead, a dead sleep. But, uh... Um, that movie's good, too, because it starts out with the mom is the villain. Oh, and yeah. The kid becomes, and then the kid becomes the villain, and then the monster becomes the villain. Yeah, it's yeah. A good, a good arc to that. Yeah, it's a really, really solid progression. Um, hey there, Scribbo. Um, so, yeah, like, um... We're just talking horror movies before we get into Age of Sigmar here. So what about what about you? What uh, what horror movies have you knocked out this season so far? Let's just, we watched this John Carpenter thing about a bunch of dumb, dumb scientists um, in a basement of a church. There's like this cylinder, Prince of Darkness, I think it was called. Okay. Hmm. Uh, it's all right. I haven't seen it. Um, I really liked it because the people is did not solve their problems well. <laughs> and there was no possible way that they were going to stop the evil, and the evil did not get stopped. So that was like it a was ba- okay. good, like a all right. Was that an old Carpenter flick? Yeah, or, yeah. See, I've been meaning to watch The Abyss again. Which I know that that's not Carpenter. That's uh, who is that? James Cameron. Is it? Yeah, Cameron. He's obsessed with yeah. the yeah, yeah. So like I've been, I've been, uh, I had recently seen like a like a mini documentary on the making of it. And it made me really want to watch mm. it again. Because they basically took... Uh... It's real boring. It's real slow. Is it? Yeah, man. Yeah. Man. But, like, those people were, like, half drowning the entire shooting. So, like, it's just... Oh, yeah. It's just bad. And, like, their hair was, like, getting bleached blonde because they had, to like, so many issues with the water. And they had to, like, fill, like use a bunch of chlorine to compensate because it wasn't pH balanced. And it was... Let's see. We watched, um, we watched Alien. We started it off with Alien. Classic. Which was, yeah, it's still really good. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm gonna need like ten years before I watch it again. I'm like, oh, I've seen this enough. I don't yeah. See it anymore. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Hale- But Hale- Madeline said, and she noticed this. She has a conspiracy. She says the cat's in on it. She says the cat is buddies with the alien. And then she was like pausing on these frames with like the cat is just hanging with the alien in the, a couple frames, and it's like guiding them. <laughs> it guides. Um, Harry Dean Stanton to his doom. So that's her conspiracy theory. <laughs> that's I'm a like, good well, one. yeah, I suppose the alien didn't eat the cat at all. And there's one frame where it's like clearly just the cat sitting right in front of the alien. The alien doesn't care about the cat. There's there is a scene that that stuck with me, and it's the only scene where I'm like, this is obviously a person in a costume, and it's when the alien's crouched in the corner like this, and then it stands up. And it's so, like, the movements for the alien throughout the entire movie are pretty, like, abnormal and weird. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just that that one scene where the alien stands up. It's so much like this is how a person stands mm-hmm. up. You know, like yeah, I would. At the end, when the lights are flashing on it, when it's like this, yeah, it's like curled up in the corner, you know, and like, and yeah. it's it's really dark and in the frame, and like you kind of do a double take, and you're like, holy shit, the alien's right there, and then that that yeah. like motion, yeah. I appreciated it, and watching it on this view, I appreciated how slow the alien was. Mm-hmm. And I think in the newer movies, they made it move too fast. I get that, like the the Jason thing. I'm gonna keep referencing. See, I did see the. Uh, I, d- I don't think I'd ever seen the original Friday the 13th until this, like, last weekend. I recently watched it. Oh, yeah, twist. Jason's not even the killer. Yeah, yeah, the mom. It's the mom the whole time. It's the mom the whole time. Yeah. That movie is fucking boring, man. It, I fell asleep partway yeah, through. We try, I tried to second watch that recently, and we were, like, ten minutes in. Mm. I made it to the... What else did we watch? We watched, um, you know, Nicholas Roeg, Man Who Fell to Earth, David Bowie? Yeah, yeah. We watched one of his movies. I can't remember the title of it, um, but it had uh, Donald Sutherland in it. It was very good, very Roeg-y style, um, very kind of ethereal feel to it. Um, He's kind of got this second sight. Um, His daughter dies, and they're grieving, and they move to Italy, and then this, like, blind woman is like talking he's like oh your daughter she's right between you she's happy she wants you to know she's happy and then weird shit starts happening hmm. yeah scribble here says he finds a lot of the old like old horror does it dates badly like it doesn't hold up well and there's a lot of old horror like that there's a couple like mm-hmm. i've seen the exorcist as recent as like i'm gonna say within the last 10 years and that one still held up for me i thought the like the original exorcist was mm-hmm. really solid Rosemary's Baby is another one that, like, I think really holds up. But that's but those ones are almost like the horror of it isn't really like the monster or you know the big the big payoff scenes. It's usually right. the the lingering. It's Mia Farrow's acting, and it's John Cassavetes such a shithead in that movie. And yeah, yeah. It just... Like he essentially rapes his wife while she's asleep, and oh, it's just, it's unsettling. It's, it's just messed yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We watch Day of the Dead as well, which. I thought it was very good still. I've seen that probably 20 times. So I was like, yeah, I'll watch that again. That's what I could watch every year, I think. This one where they're in the, the military bunker and the scientists and the military guys are well, just pretty much yelling at each other the whole movie. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right on the original Dawn of the Dead, Scribo. Like, and uh, what was it? They They Live I haven't seen recently to see if that if that one holds up dude, they live is the best it does it does it's got this great atmosphere to it and then it's got that scene where they have that fucking street fight and it goes on and on and they're just like and it's such a real fight and there's like a toll to the violence and they're just punching each other in the face and they keep getting up and they just slowly get more exhausted and it goes for like 12 minutes they just beat the shit out of each other yeah yeah it's great it's a great movie yeah yeah Original Dawn of the Dead. I actually like the Dawn of the Dead remake, like a, a fair amount. The one with yeah. Ving, Ving Rhames and shit. Yeah, dude, Zack Snyder. That movie's good. It's I like. I actually really enjoyed it. Like maybe and it the takes bait. Place in Milwaukee, buddy. It does. It does. Cheers. Well, and the yeah. Cheers to Milwaukee. Um, the uh, mm, that scene where uh, where like the kid like comes in and she just fucking swings the door into the kid and like runs like it's so good 
Like it's oh, at the yeah, very yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just like yeah. pow, because like the the way that that actress or whatever just takes the hit, it yeah. like oh man, the sound drops out for just a moment. Mm. Man, that Let's was. See, so- what, I I feel like we watched one more thing. I can't remember what else, but yeah, we've got a we've got a big list, bunch of stuff we haven't seen, some old favorites. Um, I'm feeling my vegetarianism is kind of waning right now, so I'm gonna watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. There you go. Which is the ultimate <laughs> vegan-inducing movie. There's three, there's three vegan-inducing movies. Okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Okja, and um, a movie called Leviathan, which okay. is about a fishing vessel, and it's a it's an experimental documentary. Okay, okay. Those are the three, so if you ever want to join the dark side of... Join the dark side of diet. No, I'm, I'm a flexitarian now. I'm a... I've kind of, like... Um, yeah, it's a good name for it. I like uh, I like meat as a like I like food as art if that makes sense. Like I like the full culinary palette of colors. Like I wouldn't paint without the mm-hmm. color red. Like yeah. people out there can make fantastic works of art without using the color red, but like I wouldn't. And you know, meat is the color red, the color blue, whatever you want it to be. Like for for this analogy, and uh, but like the science is irrefutable what it kind of does and so it's like in moderation right yeah so you know yeah, and we am should, I, we should help the planet we should help yeah yeah whatever you can do animals ethically too i don't yeah. like killing animals but the, at a certain point it becomes weird right it becomes kind of gross once yeah. it reaches like a certain level and i think that's different for everybody like yeah, your threshold on it. Like my um my grandpa my grandpa had had a farm up by St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um mm. and he it, chickens and like just a small a small bit of cattle um and he was pretty ethical about it you know like you stop just shy of naming them and them being your friends when you were a kid like he he did rather and like we mm-hmm. we were we were nice to him and stuff but like i had a really practical understanding of like this is how my grandpa makes a living but like the factory farm just take over in the 90s when i think it really started to boom just crushed his his farm and that sort of first wave oh, yeah. That first wave. And so, uh, like, it, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, buy local, you know, know who you're buying from and make sure they're raising it ethically. Uh, yeah. Respect creatures that have complex, effective states. And I think that includes pigs and chickens and cows. Yeah. And I, I won't eat things maybe, like maybe octopus. Fish. I'll eat some fish. Yeah. Octopus is too smart to eat. Yeah. Octopus is too smart to eat. Like, so I have these, like, weird, and I know they're completely arbitrary values. Which is why I don't like harp on it, but I've become misunderstood. Hey man, all arbitra- all values are arbitrary. Fair enough, um, but like I've essentially become a flexitarian of late, where it's like I'll eat meat if it's, especially if it's like good food or, or yeah. whatever, and then from there it's like you know we don't yeah. really eat, we eat more fish these days, but you have to be really aware mm-hmm. of where you're getting your fish too, you know, and so there's there's literal mm-hmm. entire websites that say like you know which companies to trust and what fish. Types. There's some uh, farms in Wisconsin now that are doing amazing things. Hydroponic farms that are all oh, organic yeah. and yeah. recycling the water. The uh, water from the crop runoff. They've just got the these like, amazing salmon ecosystems going. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and like the stuff in Wisconsin. Yeah, the fish, the fish uh, excrement actually becomes uh, fertilizer for the crop, and like it just it's a it's so a cool. perfect little like ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's it, there's ways to be pretty responsible with with your, your meat habits. And I think it's about awareness and wow, that's a hell of a rant. That's a heck of a side <laughs> segue there. Um, 
So yeah, um, if I ever want to go full veg or full vegan, I guess I have to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. We've got them all. It's a movie all. about meat. It's all about meat. Yeah, people are meat. <laughs> you walk into a, your, your cow, you're walking around, and somebody hits you with a hammer and hangs you on a hook. Oh, oh. all right. Um, so actually, tonight's subject, uh, thanks for joining us if you're, if you're tuning in, if you're watching yeah, the we'll vlog. Hey. We'll, we'll timestamp this one right now for the beginning of the show. <laughs> I think they this can. Yeah, this is it. So uh, tonight's episode, actually, uh, I'm calling it uh, Turning the Page. And what that means is, in, for our discussion purposes, is like, how do you know when to turn the page in your army? Um, I think people in Age of Sigmar tend to be really passionate about the armies they play. Um, and, you know, when do you shelf it? You know, when do you pick up a new project? Because you see people get into this habit of like buying a box, not touching it buying another box so like like how do you sort of like go through that process motivate through that process and uh i have you on andrew because uh you've been a very loyal orc player about as long as i've known you and uh, uh, <laughs> um and your army is is gorgeous we've actually got some some stuff here we'll go through the pictures are a little bit grainy but uh i rest assured these are magnificent models um really a, lo a lot of attention to to detail here um so you you really like approach the game like really like kind of in depth and, and on the hobby side of it um and now you're actually going into your skaven so your rat men uh, i guess there's a point where i identify as kind of when i think you turned the page on the army uh would you agree was that midwest meltdown when you walked away with the that special plaque yeah probably ready to do something else now yeah yeah okay cool um, so I guess first I'm just going to say is like, uh, I've never really asked you how you got into Age of Sigmar. It was like, you know, it's just kind of a state I've always just known like, oh, this, he plays Age of Sigmar like me too. And, you know, we have RL friends and, you know, friends outside of the game. Um, I guess take me on your journey of like how you got into Age of Sigmar real quick. Like just, uh, when Silver Tower came out, I looked into it because I played board games a lot and I'm really into economic board games and card games auction games and train games anything with like shared incentives or spatial games are also fun too and some of the classic like euro games with a bunch of crunchy mechanics and um uh and then age of sigmar or was out i guess at that time and that silver tower was out so i was looking at it i was like oh yeah i could use uh just like a fun game like this so i started looking into it and then i looked into age of sigmar and then at gen con a couple of years back i bought the Iron Jaws start collecting because they looked sweet. So see, it was the brutes and pigs. <laughs> so you just you really did just jump in with uh, yeah, jump in with the uh, uh, orcs, the uh, the boys. Um, and my friend Mike played. Um, well, a, a couple of my friends played back in Eighth Edition. I think it was Eighth Edition, Seventh Edition. They played, and they he had a Death Army. So I was like, hey, I got this Age of Sigmar, and you can just use your old models. And he was like, okay. So I played, I painted up some Stormcast, and then we played a little bit, we learned, and I was like, oh, this system's really good, this is really easy. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it, started painting my orcs, tried really, really hard, probably played about 50 games, and didn't win too many of them against Death. Uh, Death was real good back then. It was right after, um, I, I played a couple months before the General's Handbook came out. Okay. I think is when. Well, so the, no, it, it probably came out when I bought my box set because that was at Gen Con, and I remember. Yeah, that was probably in an August, right? 
So yeah, I'm we, guessing I must have bought that General's Handbook a couple weeks after I started. Yeah, we we um, my Iron Jaws. Uh, we we had uh, Tristan on a little bit ago, and he he remembers like that sort of like the hatred period of death, kind of early on, right around the pre the 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 uh, General's Handbook. So I think that mm-hmm. that lines up. And you then you didn't go the mixed destruction route. You actually like were in on IJ. Yeah, I was from the, I was from Iron Jaws with a then you but you got those uh, Allegiance artifacts too. Batter Talisman for Mortal Wound save. And then what was the other one? You roll dice and you get to move in the movement phase. I think okay. that's what it was. Coupled with the Iron Fist. So you could sometimes shoot right across the board and blow stuff up. But uh, Very, very destructive. Iron way. Fist was 60 points back then. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they were, they were still sorting things out. But I, I played Warhammer 40k in like... 2000 maybe like 1999 to 2002 Uh i actually played with the guys who run wapaka because they had moved to stevens point around that time so i was like 13 and they were like 20 22 or something like they were recent recent college graduates so i was playing with those guys every saturday and that was a very formative time for me as a gamer because we just go to the shop on saturday you wouldn't call anybody you go down and people would just be there. You just assume people were there all the time, which is a really special thing. I don't know if that's how it was back then all the time because I was just a kid. So I just went through life assuming that the game store was always filled with people because it was when I would go there. Oh, what so a... you just bring your army and go. <laughs> and a... uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no. What a what a time to be alive. You actually just physically go to a game store and there's and you can play yeah. pick up games. Yeah, it's really cool. And then the guys would give me shit because I would be like playing video games all Saturday morning and not doing my chores. And my dad wouldn't let me go out unless I did my chores. So I was like, oh, I'll just stay home. And they're like, hadn't seen me in five weeks. They're like, oh, so you made it out one of these Saturdays. Finally did your chores, huh? <laughs> so the camaraderie. So, was... but it, I mean, it's really cool, right? And that's still how it is today with Warhammer. Even back then, I was like getting in cars with these 25-year-old men and driving to tournaments people who are who are way older than me and it's still the same way right you remember um when we were at uh wapaka we drove that that kid home he's 18 he's a freshman he lived in madison and he didn't have a ride home so joe and i drove him home and he was like yeah man i'm really tired i stayed up late drinking with domus all night so in what other what other community do you just like have this 18 year old kid staying up drinking with domus who is not 18 years old until hours of the morning. It's really cool how everybody's so welcoming. We've just got this thing to unite us. So I played 40K and I played Tyranids because, oh, we'll go back to Alien again because I loved Alien so much. This I bought those plan- Yeah, this is like sec- third edition. Third edition. Um, and I covered, I didn't even prime those bitches. I just put the brown on them, chestnut <laughs> ink wash, red ink wash. And then I covered them with, um, I bought like gloss stain that you would put on like a porch and me and my dad put on masks and like covered them with this so they looked gooey and then I covered them with um a hot glue gun too to make them look super slimy because I was in love with aliens so much so that was my first army they look like fucking shit I found them a couple years ago and I sold them like I, I couldn't even scrape them to like save them I sold the whole army it was like 3,000 points and I sold it for like $60 <laughs> nobody wanted it they were garbage I wish I had a picture Oh, that God. was my army, but I remember I was really motivated 
just as an artist, I was really motivated socially for hanging out with people and having a shared hobby. And I was really motivated by making just the filthiest fucking list that I could. Me and my friend would just stay up looking, pouring through the books. Did you lose me? No, you're, you're good. Okay, there we go. I was lagging on my end. We were just pouring through the books, and I remember just making these absolute garbage filth lists of tyranids spamming. You put, like, adrenaline glands on them to give them an extra shot and just rain down with these little guys just shooting like crazy. And so I loved every part of the hobby. I loved it from back then. Then, you know, of course, I spent my money on other things, became interested in other things, took a 10-year hiatus. But now I'm here, and I'm... Yeah, and you're back. Pretty much my only hobby now. So, uh, I like, I just know, personally, you you play chess. Where does che- where did chess come in for you? And, like, when did you start playing chess in this, this sort of trajectory? I was mildly employed, so chess was a good hobby, after after college and I was working in media and slowly becoming disenfranchised with my chosen career path and slowly taking less work and <laughs> accepting less work and less work and less work. And then there was no weddings because it wasn't summer anymore. So I just kind of stopped working. Uh, and then I was like, well, I need something to occupy my time. I can't afford a video game. I can't afford a new computer. I can't even buy board games. Chess is free. So I started playing chess and trained myself up. So got pretty serious for a while into chess. I, I remember you and Joe had this like this really cool conversation where like, you know, Joe would there's a joke in like the fighter community that like there's this 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 part where you're you're so good at fighters that none of your friends will play you because you'll just body them all. But you're not quite good enough to like go out on like the circuit and like play people at evo and stuff and so you're just in this like uh and now like there's ranked matchmaking online and stuff and that's made it alleviated a little bit but back in the day it's just like okay so you go to like the local arcade put your quarters up and just like play king of the hill matches all day and beat everybody and then you go to evo and find out you ain't shit (laughs) like there's Mm -hmm. that like weird in between like skill where you're you're good but you're not like the best and uh and so you and Joe kind of have this, like, him and drafts and stuff. I think you challenge him, like, could you just go to a draft tomorrow and just, like, win it? And he's like, yes. Like, that is, he doesn't even go play MTG because he hit that point. Um, you kind of hit that point with chess, too, though, where you're just, like, you could just go to, like, some random tournament locally and just, like, crush people. It's, incre- it's incredibly difficult if you're not going to a tournament. But chess tournaments are still very, very popular. So you will find good games at chess tournaments. It just might not be your first round. Uh, but they'll use accelerated pairings to get you to play people who are at your strength. Chess ratings are very good. Uh, the ELO system is pretty much spot on. So you'll get paired against people and get good games. When it's not good is if you go to the coffee shop and finding somebody at your playing strength is very hard. So when I would go to the coffee shop, there are two guys who could beat me and everybody else who I could beat. Mm-hmm. So against those two guys, it was a non-game. And against everybody else, it was a non-game. In the different spectrum. Interesting. Yeah. So, so what do, can you share, like, what what was your, like, uh, like, what's the chess ranking like? Is there, like, an S, A, B, C, D? Like, how does that work? The ELO system starts you out. So if, you, if you're a complete beginner and you know how to move the pieces and to put your pawns in the center, 
And maybe you're thinking about defending your pawns in the center too, but you have really bad board visualization because you've never practiced. That would be about 1,900 to 1,000 would be your rating. The okay. best player in the world is 2,900, which is ridiculous. Okay. And where, where, where did you and sign a grand, up? Peak? A grandmaster would be like 24, 2,500. So I'm like a strong intermediate. I am like 1,900 to 2,000. Depends on how hard I'm focusing or how much I've been playing. Okay. And so, like, you're you pretty, pretty competent at chess. You destroy me. We wouldn't even play a real game. Um, yeah, but then I don't know a lot of opening systems, so I can get into trouble real quick. Uh, sometimes I went through big, like, you got to book up. That's what you got to do. You just have to know, like, a certain amount of theory to get to expert level and a certain amount of endgame. So I know probably, like, there's about a hundred endgame ideas you should know, and I know probably thirty of them by heart. Where like I could set them up on the board and teach them to my children at school, and like feel confident that I'm teaching them correctly. And there's more to learn, but then like opening, opening ideas, I'm like way behind on. So if somebody's playing, so for example, on my other screen here today, I was learning um, standard line for the modern defense, which is e4, g6, d4 bishop g7 and all the lines on that there then, there are like three viewers on like that are going to be watching this vod and they're going to know exactly what you were talking about it'd be so good. bumped <laughs> yeah i hope so and then i'm i'm really getting into trouble with sicilian defenses because i play e4 is my opening move and e4 always opens up the sicilian which can lead to some wild and crazy games that you have to know tons but you, of lines on. but you never gamble really... with a sicilian when death is on the line right 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 <laughs> Sicilian's a lot of fun. I played as black too sometimes with the black pieces because you get to with black you kind of get to control in the Sicilian like you can kind of shift the game into your pet lines. Um, huh. there, with black it's a little easier. With white it's a lot harder because your opponent gets to choose a little bit. Uh, so I'm looking at it, some anti-Sicilian lines that I've been looking up on. So, you, so you're still you're still looking into chess like kind of fact. You're saying. Not right now I am. This past week I started playing really hard. I was like, I got my bullet rating up to 1900 because it, it was dipping down to like 1600 because I just kind of like play to kill time. Uh -huh. So I was like, I wonder how high I can get these ratings if I actually put forth some effort. Okay, so you're, you're back into chess a little bit. So what skills from chess have you like translated into, into Age of Sigmar? Yeah, that's a good question. On my YouTube channel a few years back, before I went and I did grad school, I started a video called Chess Wisdom, which was a basic idea was how to apply knowledge from one area of your life to another. So how do we take chess ideas and apply them all throughout chess and to other games? Because uh -huh. you can improve your mind and you can use it as a massive shortcut to learning to take strategic ideas from one uh, area to another. So the other week on Warhammer Weekly, I didn't let, I didn't write this yet. I should write this last week on their video. Warhammer Weekly Tom was talking about a chess concept. Now, he wasn't naming it as the chess concept, but it was a chess concept called the threat is greater than the execution. This is a chess idea that says that if I have my bishop here on, let's say I have black pieces, if I have my bishop here on g7 and my knight here, and it's looking across the board and your bishop's right behind there, I always have the threat to sacrifice that knight in the middle and then take your bishop. Now, 
the idea of threat being greater than the execution means that I can have a bigger impact on my opponent's potential moves just because that threat is there. If I take it, it might not be as good for the game, but I will restrain his potential movement of his pieces just by the threat being there. So this is like a deep strike is the best way in Age of Sigmar to describe it. Mm -hmm. If I actually throw my 10 retributors down to deep strike you, it's not as good as leaving them up in the sky and forcing you to do things with your pieces on the back edge of your board. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. So basically board control, zone control, like concepts from some other stuff. Threat, yeah, using threats as a way to limit your opponent's potentials. Because the more potential things your opponent has to do, the more potential good things they have to do. Then they can make their pieces better. But if they're stuck thinking about something that you have, uh, you just keep that there. Keep the tension. That's the other thing. In chess, uh, one of the biggest things is to take is mistake. Because you, if you take, it's very similar to making a movie, too, in a scene. It's very similar to writing a story. You keep that tension as long as you possibly can. You don't go trading off pieces, because then all of a sudden, things get a little more clear as to what's going on. So mm -hmm. if you leave a bunch of pieces all attacking each other at the same time, then you're building that tension. So similar to that threat idea, if this tension is there, you put your opponent under pressure and you limit their potential options. Yeah, that's um, like one of my big concepts or one of the big things I kind of like talk about tends to be like make forcing opponents to make bad make two bad decisions, and I think that like that threat is there. Yeah. They have to extrapolate the decisions, and they can fall into decision traps then because you've yeah. you've given them the opportunity to to make the decision, and all you have to do is just kind of threaten it. Um, the other thing from chess is, oftentimes. Um, this is what Kasparov says. He says that there's there's initiative, which or like there's time, and then there's material, and then there's space on the chessboard. Those are the three things that are always at play with each other. So if you if you sacrifice a rook, but your opponent's got his rook still on a one and his bishop still sitting there mm -hmm. blocking the rook, are you really down a rook if you got an attack going? Yeah, and I mean, the same thing can happen in Age of Sigmar. If you just make your opponent's units bad because they can't affect the game, then you're up points, right? This is actually very pertinent to the to the Gotrick kind of conundrum. You know, yeah. he's 520 points, but he's 520 points of four inches and mm -hmm. very limited ways to buff it and no way to really, like, pick him up and throw him into combat like a grenade. So, like, I, depending on battle plan... You know, you just deploy away, and you're on the other quarter of the board. He's not there for three or four turns. He might as well be dead. 520 right. points. Spectator. That's what you call it. That's a, a YouTuber named King's Crusher. He's, the rook is made to be a spectator on the, <laughs> age, on the first rank. <laughs> I I actually like I've actually fallen into that trap with with uh, with with Nagash before uh, in uh, one of my deployments. I was He's playing spectator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're you're you get afraid that like if he's not in the game, or if you put him in the game too aggressively, uh, he'll die. And this was when Klonkar was still around, and yeah. so I'd like learned to really be afraid of losing Nagash like turn one or turn two because I'd played Klonkar a couple times or mixed order, um, close enough. Uh, so it's like 
to 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 have this fear that like I'm gonna like he's gonna die, and then like so I deploy him kind of conservatively, and then my opponent just goes, okay, everything's over here now, and like I'm like Nagash is just yeah. out of the fight now. He's not affecting the table, and this is pre-umbral spell portals. I'm just like that's 800 points or 900 points that could just be dead. Like it, yeah, it's meaningless. There's so many ways in Age of Sigmar to make your pieces good and make your opponent's pieces bad at the same time. Deployment is critical. You've got to have ideas when you go into deployment. Like if you want to do well at a tournament, you've got to think about how you're going to deploy against every top army on and on every battle plan. And it doesn't take that long. It does not take nearly as long as prepping for a chess. Because <laughs> you, you can write it down too and look at it. And that's cheating if you go to chess. Uh, but it's expected at Age of Sigmar because there's like 5,000 fucking rules to remember. Yeah, and you've, you've got uh, scattered across you know, yeah. 10 books and an FAQ and so on and so forth. And now people yeah. are making these cheat sheets, which is actually pretty cool. Um, I'm actually going to pull this up yeah, so I, I, rem- still, I remember uh, dude, it. Like, I'll tell you, I played against Domus at Brew City. Just forgot to put plus one to hit on my Markrusha. Plan in from the beginning, from deployment, plan in to throw that thing out into a phoenix. <laughs> and he gets there, and I was like, hey, did I say plus one to hit on him? And he's like, nope. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Whoops. Like, still, even after 100 games, you forget stuff like that. It's, so, well, your checklist. Yeah, yeah. And so, speaking of the checklist, we got Age of Sigmar reminders here. Uh, Davis E. Ford's been working pretty hard on it. Um, I saw those. They look very cool. Really cool. He just, uh, I just sent him a bunch of lists directly from Azir so that he could, uh, and I helped him find a couple bugs cool. already. So, uh, Age of Sigmar reminders, AOSreminders.com is like really freaking awesome for your little like checklist. But if I can make a recommendation, anybody who does that, don't just print it off there. Go on AOS reminders and then type them out manually yourself. That'll help you remember. It's true. Writing or, the stuff or, like, helps write you. Them, write them yourself and in your own handwriting. Well, now your now your teacher side's coming out because <laughs> that's a yeah. teaching teaching technique. Yeah, writing stuff helps you memorize. That's why um I have my my little note card here every time I do one of these is just to so that I remember to come, circle yeah. back to a question. Um, I did uh my whole grad school I did no computer I did every all notes by hand. It, I still do it D and D. I've got binder upon or a yeah. co- composition notebook upon composition notebook. Uh, which is made if of, you're ty- if you're typing a lecture, all you're doing is transcribing. It doesn't enter your in, brain. Right. If you have to shorthand it, it enters your brain, and then you have to figure out how to write it the fastest by boiling it down to its essentials, so you can write it as fast as possible. If you, you're just typing, it just goes in one ear, out the fingers, out the other ear, and you've you just described. You read it again later. You've just described exactly how I plot my uh, adventures and and my stories. It's just a single single quick sentence using like weird jargon that I'll like, I will know what it means, but it will remind me, you know, yeah. so if I'm like, you know, the character goes Sephiroth on her, you know, cool. so that means yeah. like yeah. he drops down and he kills somebody, kills the character tragically out of nowhere. So if I say something like that, like, se- like yeah. this villain Sephiroth's, you know, support character or something like that, I know in my head when I come back to my note, what I, what I was going to do in the story there. So Yeah. If I write outlines for films, if I'm thinking of making a film, so like I'll just write down the scene and it'll be like that purple moment that you've been thinking of when everything is purple. Because you run it through your head so many times, you just write it down. You're like, all right, for my outline, like that's my big scene. 
And yeah. I know exactly what it's going to look like in my head because I ran it through so many times. Yeah, yeah, but you might forget it if you don't put that in there. Like, oh, this is when I was going to have the big, the mm-hmm. payoff. This is when I was going to have it. Joanna mm-hmm. disagrees with the, the use of Sephiroth as a verb. <laughs> it's English, man. Anything can be a verb. Super cool. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes it great. Um, so coming a little bit back, like, so you, you played chess, you got pretty good at it, you've brought some techniques into it, and you said you were kind of the total AOS player. You really like coming up with filthy lists, but you're also really into the hobby. Um, Dude, I love all of it, man. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. It just really is. It, I mean, it doesn't give you, I, I'd argue, and it's only because I'm a chess player, and I know what a perfectly balanced thing looks like, and I know the joy that you can get from playing a perfect information game. Age of Sigmar isn't that, but it's close enough. There's enough, like, good players are are good. That's why people consistently can go 5-0. and all. Yeah, like, they're uh, ach- achieving the it perfect. It gets you everything. It can get you social. It can get you art. Yeah. Uh, the one I'd say it doesn't get for me, narrative. I don't see the point of doing Warhammer narrative. I feel like you can get narrative from a lot of other game systems and get them better. So if I were going to go narrative, I would go to other games. And I do love narrative gaming. My favorite game is a game called The Artifact, which is a a, pure, uh, a strategy game purely based you were te- on telling me skills. You were telling me about this one. This is the one where you play, you're on like a spaceship. Yeah. You're So you're on a spaceship and you have like essentially different role players. So you could be like the mechanic. Well, well you tell me again. I'm, I'm remembering it, but I really want to play this game. It's a space opera. So there's this mad scientist, and he's kind of been hoarding secrets from the company he works for, and he finds this thing called the Artifact, and he's like, I'm going to sell this to the pirates, the black market pirates. So the pirates show up, but also, at the same time, the phone company shows up, and so the pirates are pissed, and McCray puts the, he's the scientist, he puts the shields up, so everybody's trapped inside the ships. So he's got the artifact. They want the artifact. The phone company, you don't know if they're actually the phone company. They might just be the phone company. They might be like government operatives sent to figure out what McRae is doing. They might be people from a museum, like Indiana Jones and Space Guys, trying to recover the artifact <laughs> at the same time. Okay. Um, oh, and then also there's an alien, one of seven. You don't know which one it's going to be. It might be a shape-shifting... Um, cyborg hunter trying to retrieve the artifact it might be zombies it might be like alien bug aliens or it might be the artifact itself is sentient and doesn't want to be stolen and has mind control and stuff like that so that's awesome how many players and this is a this is one of those like lopsided games right where you have a what is it called where you have like essentially like a a referee asymmetric asymmetric but this is a special asymmetric game because it's a blind game. Now, back in the old days of war games, there was something called double blind games. And these were done to create a fog of war effect to give you a really good uh, simulation experience of being a general and not knowing what is going on in the other side of Europe. So back and f- you would do your turn and then the referee would adjust your board and then walk over to the other players' table and adjust their board too based off things that have happened. So you're playing on opposite sides of the room from each other, not able to see the other person's entire forces to give you that fog of war effect. Now, this is the same thing, except there's four different people at four different tables. Um, I would say comfortably this game could play six people plus a ref, 
I wouldn't go any more than that. Um, because you can play, there's two phone company operatives, and it's really funny because they can pick whether they can pick their role out of the four potential roles and they do them independently. So they don't know whether to trust each other even. Um, That's so funny. then the ref goes around, you do your moves, and then the ref will adjust based on things that are at other tables. And then players are like texting each other private transmissions to like meet up in certain places <laughs> or like announcing over. You can play different ways, like encrypt it. You could be like, yeah, we have encrypted messages where like players will go in the hallway and like whisper to each other, but people will see that a message was being sent. So they'll be like, I don't trust you. You're in cahoots with him. Um, it makes for some very, very unique situations. All the goals are narrative based too. So when you can get like super gamey with it, um, the spirit of the game kind of really demands that if you want to win, you have to like negotiate with people. Yeah. If you got to play it to believe it, man, it's really good. It's like the game that werewolf always wanted to be. See, it sounds, it sounds awesome. What's the, what's the peak? What's the, uh, of like the best number? Like I, for, in D and D, I think three to four players is like actually the best, not five or six. Yeah. Like, what do you I think, think is the best players in one ref? Now, typically when I've played, the ref runs to Alien as well, which gives extra burden to the ref to play the Alien because it's kind of like an NPC and you've got to play it with... You have all the information, but you got to play it like you don't, uh, which kind of takes out some of the fun of being the Alien. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, like, better than just, like, your character, like, goes in a hallway and then you see, like, a fucking robot with its guns drawn... And just, like, start shooting at you because whoever was there was trying to shoot somebody else who they thought were coming down the corridor. Or, like, an, a robot was on the hole of the outside of the ship, and it, like, puts a thermite mine on the ship. And it's, like, because it's looking through the window, and it sees that this evidence disc is in there for McRae has this evidence disc um, that the, the Bell phone company had taken this evidence to prove that he was a villain and it's sitting there on a bed in somebody's quarters and so they plants the thermite mine after like cahooting with all the other players and it blows up but there is a dude right around the corner and he gets fucking sucked out into space and dies <laughs> and then everybody's pissed at him they're like you killed one of my men you gotta pay for that man that's yeah, great really good. that's great that's great my so favorite was when we were playing with Haywo and um his, uh, his scientist died, just got fucking wrecked by a zombie. Um, so there's so he didn't zombies. Have any, yeah, there's zombies. They, radioactive zombies. So he got wrecked, um, and so his Slav and his cyborg assistant, like, ended up, um, like, questioning his motivations for being alive because his master was dead. And so he's just decided, like, to become a pirate. His, his, like, they're like, Slavin, you're a cyborg. We, were, we want you to go pick up the loot from the corridor down there. And so he's like, yes, I will do this, but only if I can come with you because he didn't know, he didn't have a purpose on the ship anymore. So he goes and he just like picks up the loot and walks out the door. Meanwhile, the dude with the bell company wanted to get the loot to get like a third place finish. And he's looking through the, the security camera and he's like, all right, there's the loot. They left it in the hallway as they said they would. So I'm going out to get it. And, uh, like, he runs out. I was like, there's nothing in that hallway anymore. Because he was, like, too excited and ran out and didn't see Slavin just pick up the loot and get on the plane to go away and become a, a pirate. <laughs> so that's what Joe did. Like, oh, man. I will be a pirate. And then he just, like, <laughs> walked into this. And so then this other dude just was left on the ship. And the... 
they couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> he, he just died. <laughs> this game sounds like a blast. And I like that the, yeah, it's the, fantastic. the narrative actually like necessitates the game. You know, like that's yeah. that's I, I think there's ways to do it with Age of Sigmar. Um, but I think you really do you gotta you come in at it at a different perspective. Um, I mean you I would almost do it like it's Dungeons and Dragons and then you're solving the the conflict on the table instead of like characters. Sort of like reconstructing the deconstruction because D and D is itself sort of a a scaled down chainmail and then scaling it back up is really how I'd approach it. But yeah. you know, run some long term campaigns and stuff where the, the the thing on the table is just secondary to what's going on and you have like you go to the city, things are going on, you know? Things like yeah, that. I feel like match play campaigns would, I'd be okay with. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just don't find, I, I, I just, uh, scaling it down the narrative, I just, I, I'd rather have some different mechanics to do my yeah. like, narrative gaming than Age of Sigmar. It makes total sense. And and you say that, but you actually have a real a real narrative to your iron, your your uh, your iron jaws well, uh, here. Yeah, narr- narrative play to me is different than a narrative army. You've got to have a narrative army. You've so, got to... Because it's art, right? You're bringing an idea together. You want to tell? Segue, yeah, yeah. Look at that. So we've got the we've got the rust the rustfoot uh, rustfoot's iron moon clobber boys here. Um, that you have like your own unique lore for them too, don't you? Yes, I do. I did it after the gits came out. I really like the idea of the bad moon. I love the idea that there's this celestial entity and everybody thinks different things about it because that's what humans do, right? Everybody had different ideas for all the shit that was up in the sky. Uh, Absolutely. So I loved how all the different gits are arguing over what this thing actually is. So naturally, I thought they were all wrong. <laughs> and the orcs were right. They think it's a big hunk of iron that's floating in the sky. So essentially, Sigmar, he was, he's a fucking cheater. Sigmar <laughs> cheated, and he sucker-punched Gorkamorko, and Gorkamorko wasn't looking. Because everybody knows Gorkamorko would truly give him a stomp in, in a fair fight. So Sigmar cheated and punched him, and everybody knows that Gorkamorko's got bones made of iron. He's got an iron jaw. That's why iron jaws are the best. Right. So a chunk came out of his jaw, and now it's floating in the sky. So these guys, these mega bosses believe that one day that chunk of iron is going to come falling down the iron moon, and that will be the day of the mega moon. And all the best mega bosses are going to be there waiting, and they're just going to be like, come smash this mega moon, like just waiting for it to land on their head. And they're like, wah! And whoever survives getting crushed by the mega moon is the best. Yeah, this next perfect. It'll prove how how hard you are. It proves how hard you are. Yeah, this is this is this is perfect. And then you'll be the the Mega Moon Iron King. And then I purposefully like wrote all the, so they're like the Moon Boss, Iron Boss. Like it's always different when they're writing it because they're just so excited they can't get it right. <laughs> so all their titles, they're like, it's gonna be the Mega Moon Iron King. It's gonna be the Mega Boss of the Iron Moon. Even like the Claba boys are like spelled different and refer to they refer to themselves as different things sometimes. Oh man, the rampart here just barely holding together. Yeah, so that's got lore too. So they keep building that to get to the Iron Moon, mm-hmm. the siege tower. But then they get to like when it gets about this high, they get really excited, so they go raid 
and siege something, and then it breaks. So yeah. then they have to build it up again. But they only have so much uh, effort for building. They only can maintain their motivation for building for so long until they're like, oh, my, here's a big good for a punch up. And then they go out and it fucking gets destroyed every time. <laughs> See, I love this. I love this army. And this this army is is like you put a lot of a lot of time a lot of do you have any like concept of how many hours you put into your army? Like, Too even... many. I mean, this was my first army, so when I painted it, after a while, I had about probably fifteen hundred points painted, and then I started to get better at painting. And uh, in my mind, I was like, well, I would, the army's got to be cohesive, so I can't. I don't want to like go backwards in my skills. Does that mm. make sense? Like, yeah. Paint down. Because it would be too slow and too boring if I painted. <coughs> excuse me. If I painted them the same way that I, I painted when I started painting, mm -hmm. uh, then one day I just wanted to paint more iron jaws and do them justice. So I just took them down and I was like, I'm going to paint every model's skin today of my old ones. So I painted all their skin and painted them up. And I was like, then the next day I was like, I'm going to get rid of some of these bad color and composition choices. And I painted all that. And I was like, I'm going to add a bunch more rust and yeah, then can, give them can, a bunch of checks. You can, you can make out in the, in the photo I'm showing right here, the, some of the rust effect and the check, the, the checkerboard, the che which is actually kind of a cool little, uh, it's very orky, but it's also a, like a, a, a subtle little nod, nod to your chess background. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Isn't like isn't that great? That's really funny. Yeah, I didn't even think of that until you just said it. Yeah, yeah. So this yeah, this are man. They break up the model. They're so they're they're fun to paint, and I feel like now I could do them really fast. There's so many easy ways to break up dirty models by putting just different colors of dirt on them, mm -hmm. and the checks are so easy to paint because they don't have to be perfect because the orcs wouldn't be perfect, mm -hmm. and then you just scratch them up a bunch and put more dirt on them. Yeah, yeah, they these look really great. Um, it just it just looks awesome. Um, the yeah. rust effect you got in there, the the weathering yeah. on the like on like the teeth and bones. Um, oh, that the is that the uh, the actual Moon Man from uh, uh, the old McDonald's? Are you the you're the first person to ever notice what that is? That's amazing. I went on. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, the secret's out. I'm, I'm sure people thought, if you look at the picture of Rustfoot, he's, it's a Moon Man bashing stick. It's an Iron Moon bashing stick. It's just a, that thing must weigh like 500 pounds. If you look at the picture of him on the dragon. Okay. Uh, so I got the Moon Man, bunch of Moon Man toys from eBay for like $2. And they're made out of this like really rubbery kind of plastic. Uh -huh. So I just went in with a hobby knife and scratched them up a bunch and scratched they had like goggles on so i scratched all that off and then made the nose really pointy mm -hmm. uh you can let's see there's a picture of the objective marker in front of the pigs if you look at that picture that's a good one that's my iron moon shrine the, so it's just a big hunk of iron this one here the three pigs and then you got them the, the yeah. pet yeah yeah cool that's awesome. Yeah, so I just chopped him up. It's very orky. And then here we go. This is the, the piece de resistance, the ultimate accoutrement for any display board. The That's cast the, <laughs> the cast of your foot. 
<laughs> that was so fun to make. So, so, uh, so th- this uh, this army actually won uh, Domus's Midwest Meltdown, which about what 120 people out of 120 people. Yeah, I think it came in. It was, there were some drops, so it came in at about like 116, I think, at the end, all said and done. But I'm rounding it off, 120 people. And so he he just and, and one of the things I loved is he's like, okay, here's the first place awards for everyone who won. And then he's like, the awards that really matter, all the hobby stuff. And it was just a long line of people there. And uh, he gave out, you know, like you know, favorite army votes and all these things. And he goes down the line, and you're just standing up there, like smiling. And Domus is like do you know what you won yet? And like, I was starting to like tear up, like watching this exchange and, and he, and he goes and he grabs this amazing shield placard. I had no idea. I thought I was winning best painted beast, but then Chris Broska won both the beasts. So I was confused. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes and he grabs the, the, the plaque he had made himself, which was essentially the, the Domus's army award. Like, you know, and so you get the, like the, the hand. I think that's made by um, the guy from Stevens point. Hmm. Who make he makes them for Wapaka, so he had one commissioned for the award. It's an awesome award. There's actually on Twitter, uh, yeah. if, if you follow uh, Andrew Yells, you can kind of go back through his feed, um, and you can see the award there. Um, but basically, uh, you you cast your your actual foot, and then you made the nails look really gnarly for the foot of Gork, and uh, yeah. you. You had this for Adepticon, as I recall. Like you, you had the yep. foot ready for Adepticon. Yeah, that's that's what I did it for. Yeah. I was like, I gotta get people to come look at the army. You're gonna draw them in with something, and I really don't care for display boards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like just put a couple cool pieces of terrain out. Yeah. So you had your rampart, uh, your siege, your your siege yeah. thing there, and you had the the foot of Gork. Uh, that thing is... took a long time. The siege tower. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be quick. It was not. <laughs> well it's it's wood and like if you've ever painted any terrain especially with wood like you're just like oh this is you know cruise control yeah. like you can no no not at all no it took forever <laughs> <laughs> all the hand-painted banners that you did yeah. all of, every one of them custom everyone different a lot of stuff and oh we've got your bust here i didn't realize this was in here oh yeah so there's some more stuff here since we were just talking about hobby and doing other things yeah. yeah, that's a real, real crap photo. You can't see when when it gets so dark, you lose a lot of the color details. The camera can't pick them all up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a there's a lot of nice colors worked in there. Yeah, there's a, as I recall, there's like a little like sort of like a lot of like pink there, and then the eyes you have this really nice sheen to them. Yeah, the, the and he's got and he's got like a yellow light. I might come with like a like another red light come in from some direction, make him look like he's in a ship or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my, I was thinking of putting a couple like the drop zone commander ships, those flying ships, like around his uh, on the on the pedestal to make him look like he's like the overseer of some kind of war, mm. or he's like making the war happen. Maybe like ships and flames. I was also thinking of doing like maybe his eyes are like galaxies, and then there's like flames at the bottom. Like he's that'd be metal. I, I he's interloping. That that gets my vote. <laughs> So, um, and this kind of like rounds out the, uh, the Ard boys, the, the, your IJ army. It's, it's a beautiful army. Um, if you end, ever end up in the Midwest, uh, maybe it'll roll back around or get a better camera, throw some more photos up on, on the Twitter. It's a gorgeous army. It's an award-winning army now. Was that the moment yeah. where you're like, okay, time to turn the page? Like I have, I have achieved because from like a filthy gamer 
stance, like I might take, um, is like IJ are about to get the big book, you know, like they've, yeah. you know, like if, if you care about winning, it you is there, you know, I look at they're a lot of right now too. Yeah, I mean they're great right now. The they got exactly what they needed with the GHB, and and so you have like this, like they kind of got like what they needed. They're missing a couple tools, and and Ma tribes will come out and whatever tools or not Ma tribes, um, the IJ book. They'll get the tools from Bone Splitters, and they'll be a complete army. I my prediction, my my bold hashtag bold prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have this like this army that's on the cusp of being like a, a complete army, and your IJ player you put in the work before you know pretty much the whole way up. Where do you go? Like, hey, it's you know I'm I can do the other thing now. Yeah, I don't know. Was it like uh, you should just whatever I'm interested in painting? I think. So you you follow you follow what you're painting. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And so now you're interested in in painting the rats. Yeah, doing oh, the rats. A, this is a great. Oh, this is I haven't seen this one before. Which one is this? Uh, uh looks like a dwarf. Oh, that's a work in progress. Yeah, that's my. Um, that's my a, Paul Bonner tribute piece. You got a resin pour. It looks like in here too. Yeah, so that's what we're working on. I love their big noses. Yeah, this is great. Just trying stuff like competition level stuff. It just takes so long, man. I don't know that I have it in me. It just requires like an amount of focus and like keeping your motivation for so, so, so long to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know like if that's rewarding to me yet. I might try it. I might try and really... Because I can do it. Like, I have the technique, and I have the color color ideas. I, I, I mean, he looks really nice. He's got a... I feel like the his world is coming together that the dwarf is in. Mm-hmm. He's got the colors. I got nice level of saturation versus desaturated ground. And mm-hmm. the composition, to me, looks pretty strong. But there's just so much finishing. The finishing step, man, of, like, getting all your volumes perfect and all your blends perfect that just really doesn't inspire me. I'm, I, I think I just really enjoy doing an army. So you like the, the, the total, like the actual army and, and with your iron jaws, you have a narrative there. Like it's, it's all there too with the, uh, the, the iron moon. Um, yeah. I but I mean, I got to give it a try first, right? I got to do a, this dwarf is probably, that's probably only 10 or 11 hours of work on the dwarf right now. Maybe give him another 10 hours and see there. bring him to a competition and see how it goes. Only I do have a competition piece in mind of um, I got from this Polish guy, uh, Guts and Griffith mm-hmm. miniatures, which is one of my favorite things. So I want to do like uh, Guts and Griffith together. Maybe do them like, since I had so much fun with the cast, maybe do them like in a hand because, you know, Berserk is all about like the causality and like being in the palm of the hand of something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're like on a hand like this, facing each other. Do like a but like I'm, a face off. Yeah, but yeah. I'm gonna paint. I'm gonna paint that one. I'll probably really push that one to the extreme. But it's tough. It's tough to. This is. It's cool. tough to think about your know, like motivation motivation for competition because I am a very competitive person. Uh, but it really depends on like what you have to do to be really good at something. Like I'll often, I get these intense obsessions with hobbies and then you reach 
I think it's called like execution barrier where you, you have competence, like maybe you've done it for 2000 hours. Like I've played 2000 hours of guitar and then I reach a point I'm like, I think I'm good. I see exactly how to proceed. I see what kind of practice is necessary to learn more shapes and learn more patterns. Uh, and I don't think I want to do that. Like same with chess. I'm like, I see how exactly how to be better. I, and I, I have trouble too. And this is just a personal thing, which is, I mean, it's why sports are so good though. Right. You learn so much about your own psychology when you're forcing yourself to compete. Absolutely. I, I, you just learn so much about yourself and about other people. It's really, I why think this hobby is so great. It's, a, it's such an immense value of human beings competing because we used to compete against nature, right? We want to prove our, we have to survive. And then we invent these games to prove how good we are at being good at things. It's just something so healthy about it. And then at a certain point, if you don't like absolutely love what it's asking of you to be the best at something, then I'm like, well, if I'm not actually going to be the number one in the world, why would I cause myself like ne unnecessary pain? You, you just find what what kind of things you want to compete and be good at. I'd be interested to hear. Um, I'd be interested to talk to Vince about that motivations for competing because he seemed pretty happy to get an award at Crystal Brush and some of Gen Con awards. So I'd be wondering like how those and people like uh, Trevarian did a good video on YouTube too about painting for a competition and. He seemed so burned out, man. He seemed like it wasn't worth it. Hmm. Uh, I I think you're someone. I've been around competitive things like my whole life. And first off, we could probably like end the cast right there. That was a a brilliant take, man. Like like I, wow. Um. So I'm gonna make a separate highlight of just that. I think that's kind of what it's about. Um. When it comes to competition, your first competitor is yourself. Like that is yeah. the first one, and then. And then once you compete with yourself, then you begin competing against others. And then once you've competed with others, you find this like inception moment where like like yourself is waiting right by that finish line or whatever. In I am a bad guitarist. I I mean you can see in the frame of my camera, I've got my acoustic here, my electrics right over here. I've got a crate amp like um I've put in a lot more hours into playing guitar then show with how bad I am at guitar. And it's like, it's all just, yeah, exactly. You've got like, we've all got like the, the shadow, we've all got like the shadows, the shadow link, you know, like we've all got that, like is what we're competing against. But, um, when it comes to guitar, like it's kind of like you, my, my guitar teacher actually called it Hills and Plateaus. Um, when I was really mm -hmm. young is like, you have, you'll, you'll be climbing a hill like of like getting good at something so like hammer-ons you know like learning how to do hammer-ons and, and and vibratos and stuff like that with the with the guitar i'm like okay so like power chords is like one of the first things ever you know like uh, learning how to do power chords and like okay so you're like learning that you're learning that you're learning that and you're gonna play all the songs it'll teach you that so it was brain stew the uh crazy train uh the beautiful people by marilyn manson are all like within fragments of notes of each other so you're like learning how to play that song and it's like i'm still messing it up and and this is when like i got the 
hills and plateaus speech, which is like, what ends up happening is you're climbing the hill, you're climbing the hill, you're climbing the hill, and you're, the hill is struggle. And you can feel like you're progressing because you're struggling, and as you get closer to the top, it's not actually as much of a struggle in like the technique aspect, it's more of the struggle with self. And then you hit a plateau. And so now you're like, I am now the master of power chords. I'm on the, this plateau. I know how to do power chords. And you can see across the plateau, and you don't even see the next hill at that point. You're just walking across this flat surface. There's no struggle anymore, and you don't feel like you're getting any better. But you still have to cross the plateau to get to the next hill. And it sounds like you're on a plateau right now with your hobby. You're on this. Your, your technique, you're at a really good. And time and time and patience are like, how do you teach those? Those are like, those are the... By going to Montessori school. Yeah, yeah. Well, like writing, uh, for instance, I, I had the worst writers. I've never been on writer's block. I am 34 years old. I have been actively trying to be a writer for 14 years. And I, I wrote my first story in the second grade called Ninja Starfish. It was a com, com, heavily comic book inspired uh, a ninja star. It was a starfish who was a ninja, and his ultimate technique was throwing himself like a ninja star at you. Was, he fought an octopus all the time. It was a great story. I have, in 34 years of my life, never been on block until this last this last year, where, like, I can't even describe it. I've always had the next idea and the next project. I might not finish them, has always been my thing, is I might not finish the story I set out to write, but I always have the next idea. Finishing is hard. Finishing is the hardest part of, like, anything creative. Like, I struggle with... It doesn't sound like... I don't think you, you struggle with the self-doubt aspect. You're struggling with the more on the motivation. Like, well, what's... Why should I finish this? Me, I'm just like... Yeah. What's the... Maybe it is the same thing. Mine comes from a place of insecurity, though, where it's like, what's the point of finishing this? Who will read it? Right? Like, I already... I already was like, I know that I'm never going to be... Mm -hmm. Cormac McCarthy or, or, or David Mitchell or any of these writers that I, I truly respect and adore. I'm like, I'm not that good. And I'm not going to write the next Harry Potter where it's like, I can't even hope to be like kind of crappy, but just write something so imaginative, so in the zeitgeist that it becomes popular the way Harry Potter did. We were just like, people were just primed for that. I'm like, I'm not going to write that story. Like I've made my... I've made my peace with that part. And so that you've got to find something else, I think, is really like my soapbox moment. Is You've got to find the something else. Because in the end, you're competing against yourself. And yourself will always win. It's just which one wins. You know? Yeah, it's really tricky. It's tricky with art, too. And I agree. I, I've got some real bad like mental patterns of finishing things. Like to the point where I'll leave myself like three or four minutes of work to do in the morning at my job. I'm like, and I keep trying to. I'm like, why? Why do I do this? It's three minutes. I'll do it now. Mm. I don't know what. Uh, like, I don't know what. It, like, I'll do dishes and leave two of them. <laughs> I just can't. I can't help myself, man. I, like, there's room for them. The water's still clean and hot. I don't know. I don't it's know. Yeah, I don't. We're thing, not. We're not. Same. Yeah, we're not solving the world's we're, problems here. We're just kind of commiserating at this point. I think finishing with, is is the hard part. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, with art, it's a tricky thing, too, because I feel like if going with the intent to win something mm. with art, I, it depends what the art is, I guess. Uh, 
you're just you're you're setting yourself up for almost a guarantee to be inauthentic. What about what about the the like the deadline of it? Because I've always found that like things that help me a lot with writing is is having a real deadline. It's not enough to be like, oh, I give deadlines, myself a deadline. Deadlines are good. Deadlines are good. Uh, like painting for a deadline is good. But I, what I mean is like with the with if I were going to say I'm going to paint to win this golden demon, I'm going to paint to win, where or like the value of it is caught up in the winning mm. or, the, or the career the career the career path that you're making. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I want to. We we know all these people's names. I want people to know my name name know this name but then if you're so concerned with that then do you really know yourself is your is your writing going to be good if you're so concerned with letting people know how how uh how worth reading your writing is i feel like that just starts to come off as self-righteous and inauthentic very quickly okay art art really thrives on authenticity sure but read it uh like I okay so uh, like I was the 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 nerd in the art room with with the uh, black composition notebook filled with poems and sketches you know like I was every stereotype you could imagine with the black nail polish and the you know and the and the uh, black boots and stuff like every every stereotype you can imagine of like a '90s goth right I I was that I I had my senior year was four independent study classes and then three. AP classes. So I spent the first two hours of my day in the art room, and then I went to my three real classes, and then I spent the last two hours of my day in the art room. And, uh, and, like, I, I remember there's those other (coughs) art people that I, like, hated. Like, I hated them because they would say shit like, oh, I just draw for myself, or I just write for myself. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck you. I hate you. Like, I, like, yeah, in its therapeutic sense, like, I have a bunch of poems that, like, the catharsis of, of, of spewing my, my, just the darkness that gets inside of me onto paper, that catharsis is like, I chase that high, you know? But I'm also like, once it's written down, I'm like, what's the point if it's just sitting here if no one reads it? And so I'm like, bullshit. If you have, if you, being an artist, you have an ego because you, whether it's a damaged ego or it's, it's got a bunch of holes in it, like the ozone layer, like you have an ego. And, and so, because that's what you're fighting with. You're doing battle with the ego. Every time you, you say, I have something important enough or different enough, or that I can't contain enough that it must be on paper. It must be on a model. It must be, it must become physical because other, if not, then you're not an artist in my mind. You're not... Artists make art. Like, you make art. Was it Emily Dickinson? I believe is the, like... Her poems were all... The vast majority of them were were published post-mortem. Because she really did just, like, write them. And they were all, like, like, uh, like, taped to cupboards and just all over the house, basically. And they came in and they just found all these poems. Like, unless you're exactly Emily Dickinson, (laughs) like, writers need to be read... Artists need to be seen, you know, like musicians need to be heard. And it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that you need to be the most heard, the most read, the most whatever. But in, um, like, 
on some scale, you're searching for your audience and you're trying to put something out into the world that wasn't there before. And I think that's like a good way to think about it. Yeah. And even it's like a gift. Here's this thing that I, I worked hard at. I thought was good. I had this idea. I thought it was worth sharing. I hope you like it. I hope you enjoy seeing it. Yeah. 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 Like I hope it, I hope it does something for you. I hope it helps you through something or I hope it takes you on some journey that you wouldn't have otherwise gone on if you didn't get to see it. Well, I'm, I'm coming back to this dwarf here. Like you put this in the case for like a crystal brush or whatever. You might not win, but those people are going to walk past. They're going to snap photos. They're going to stop and have a conversation with their with yeah. their best friend and be like, "Oh, look at this guy! Look how he's looking!" And you're gonna you're gonna resonate in some way with somebody, you know? Yeah, because yeah, you're be nice. If, if and I think that's it. Like the, judging the success of it is like so. The dwarf. I want people to go by and like see this dwarf and think that guy has been looking for something for quite a while. <laughs> and like, and he's been in this woods and he's, and he's alone. Like just get the feeling across. Like, yeah. Show, show that you can, can take an idea and execute on it. It's really rewarding. Yeah. Um, like, so like, I think comp competition painting is, is a worthy, it's almost like too logical a next step for you, like, you know, and, and then you're on, I think you're on a plateau right now, like we talked about a little bit earlier, but like, I'm competitive too, you know, Hemingway famously said all writers are competitive and any writer who says they're not is a, is a fucking liar, <laughs> like, you know, pretty colorfully, um, and say what you will about Hemingway and his work, but he had a pretty good idea about writing, at least enough to be mm -hmm. successful with it. Um, I think creatives are competitive. And I don't know if this ties into like the sports thing before. Like I'm I, I genuinely get like I'm genuinely happy when I see some of my Twitter contacts get like their next book published and stuff like that. I'm genuinely happy for you. Yeah. You know, and I and I'll I'll signal boost all my friends. When Joe makes his next video, I'm happy. And I n I never think of it being as like like a competition in the community like this. But like I think that like the fight with the self and then like, and then the, the having these other people that are bringing you up to their level. Like you're going to put this model in a case and like, okay, I didn't win. What inside it? Like, what's my next step for me? What am I fighting with now that they've already beat, you know, like that resonant, like it, it happens in the, on the tabletop too. Like you're only as strong as your competition. You know, if you play games against people who just all they do is push their models at the center of the table and just roll dice, you're you're not going to get much better. If you're just painting and putting it on your shelf, you'll get a certain level of better. But then when you put it on a shelf next to people and like people begin talking and res and there's that the, that resonance between like art and the consumer of the art and the artist gets to kind of witness the fallout, you're going to have a you're going to have an idea where that hill lies at the end of the plateau now. So just you know, my advice, unsolicited, is just is just is just Shia LaBeouf. Just fucking do it, man. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Yeah, I'll <laughs> give it a try. Yeah. So good stuff, Andrew. Yeah. Um, I was having conversations with my brother too about this. He's uh, he runs Ironmans and runs marathons, and recently he's been running these marathons and coming in like seventh place and then 
he's convinced he can beat these other people who have coaches and train full time because he doesn't train full time. He's a fitness instructor full time. So he doesn't train for his pace for his marathon. Hmm. So he's, he's evaluating. He's like, why do I do this? What do I want out of this? Mm-hmm. And, but then sometimes like, dude, it's just fucking exciting to win. Isn't it? I think of, have you ever seen pumping iron? The movie about bodybuilding? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an Arnold. I think of, I think of Lou Ferrigno in that one scene. And he's like, ah, ah, and he's going. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing? Do one more. You want to beat him? And he's like, he just screams. He's like, I want to beat him. And it's like almost childish the way he just screams. I want to beat him. But then like, that's how he does another one. So yeah. I'm finding like where that motivation is to do a competition yeah, and I, I think uh, Scribble brings up something here is like to you know, you know, do it for the joy of it too. Like I, I think if you don't think of winning as the goal necessarily, you won't bury yeah. the lead on your enjoyment so much. That's uh, that's a uh, Reiner Knizia. Win winning is what is it? Winning is it's the goal to win, but it's the goal that's important, not the winning. Yeah, it's just yeah, exa- yeah, like where you. Like, okay, you are entering a competition, but, like, that's sort of, like, the side effect of doing all the other stuff. Is, like, you might get the trophy if you check all the boxes and you and you prepare and you do all the yeah. things and you take care of yourself and you win you win the battle with, with, the, with the nega self. Oh, here's some more Tolstead hand-drawn banners. Freaking love these, man. Um, yeah. Um, so now you're on to, on to the rat men. Yeah, um, we're good on the rats. So these are another... Joe had the best one. So, yeah, this is the first time anybody's seeing these, I guess, except for Joe and Adam Tronso. Fucking trounced me with his Seraphon playing against these. So they're the only two who have seen them. So now everybody can see some of these. Um, and there's many, 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 many more. I didn't take too many pictures. There's a lot of rats. Well, uh, Joe called this a period piece. A period piece? Okay. Yeah, the Goblin Green Bases the bright colors it's the mike mcveigh style from the early 90s of skaven yeah i i, I actually love back this. when the grim dark the grim dark future was quite colorful back then right quite colorful indeed i'm thinking like second edition tyranids this purple yellow blue just like hey guys how do we get people to buy our models let's just paint them in primary colors <laughs> and super saturated oh so man you with this yeah yeah, well, I, I saw a couple of them before you kind of went, like, you were still working on Iron Jaws at the time, and you just had some Skaven lying around, and I saw a couple of your, like, test models where you are trying to go for the comic book look, you had, like, the hard oh, yeah, lines yeah. and stuff like that, it, it, that you've shifted directions from that now, like, you're onto this? Yeah, a little bit, I still got some of the black lines in there, Yeah, but not black lining them too hard. Yeah. I did an oil wash on these and then took off the oil wash so they're black in the recesses because that was the style. Uh, that's how you make it look good on the box art back in the day. Mm-hmm. So you do the black wash and then it... Like any anytime two colors meet, you should put a black line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in the comics, that's... You know, Skirvel's here, he's talking about comics a bit like that's actually you know hard hard the harsh black the hard black lines in in comics except, I, except uh samurai jack man i've been watching that 
No black lines in that. Well, he that, that was good. that was his goal though. Is he didn't want any so hard black good. lines. That was his so goal good. going in. That was his creative direction. Um, on a side note, isn't it just so thrilling when you watch something from your youth, wondering if it's as good as it was when you were little? Have you seen the new season of Samurai Jack? Is there a new season? I had no idea. The new stuff. So, like, basically, he gets lost in time, and uh, and uh, uh, is it Kuma? Akuma? What's his name? The villain. The evil Aku. Aku, that's right. Aku basically wins. shifting master of darkness. Yeah, Aku basically freaking wins. That's um, awesome. And so they just, like, advance the plot the into... The Age of Chaos. Yeah, they advance the plot into, the, like, essentially this, like, the fallout of Aku has already won. And Samurai Jack has, like, stopped fighting Aku. And he doesn't have his katana anymore. And so he actually shows up in the first episode on, like, a Harley with a huge beard and using a gun. <laughs> it's so good. I can't wait, dude. It's so awesome. good. Go go check it out. It's amazing. It's well, amazing. I'm, watching, I'm in season two right now. I've been watching a lot of the old episodes. Yeah, watch so, through it. It's, it's great. It. That's really thrilling. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, basically just like a, a send-off final season because it didn't get to, you know end the way you want it to right as a mm-hmm. artist you want to you want things to end on your on your terms and i, I just kind of want to circle back around to like something said in chess here or a chess chat here from scribble um where he said he's working on stuff um and bailed uh that it hurt after 15 years of comic cons but he's happy drawing and he enjoys it now um i think like as an artist and uh, like, when I write, it's not always fun for me. I don't write because, like, I want to be... I want to be published, and I want to, like, live the writer's dream where I have a cabin, and, like, I can just write full-time. You know? Like, I really do want that dream. And I understand, like, any job, it'll suddenly suck when it's I'm obligated to write now. Like, I've got deadlines, I have a six-book contract or whatever, you know? Um, but, like, I don't write because I want, I write because I have to. And whether I'm unhappy with it yeah. or happy with it is completely not up to me. I'm going to write because I have to. I have to write the thing. I have to, I have to, I have the thought that gets in my head. I get cranky if I don't run my D&D games enough. Because that's like where the overflow for my other ideas that aren't good enough to become short stories or like, like actual stories go is like I got, oh wouldn't it be funny if is usually how most of my D adventures i ideas and planning begin wouldn't it be funny if i did this thing with i told a story about the thing yeah you yeah. don't draw for a few days like uh, writing if i don't write something it's it's been handy to have D as an outlet for like when i'm you get these parts in your your plot where you know where it's going but you get bogged down on some on some how to get there and stuff um and <coughs> It's nice to have something where, like, it's just pure progress, which is what D and D is for, like, me as a writer, as a storyteller, because that's how I go into everything. Um, first, you know, which is why I really, really love your armies because they tell the story. Like, their stories. That's my my key principle of doing the armies is they should be an adventure to look at. You should and go I on a journey, so you yeah. can't paint every model the same. You want to look at different models, and then somebody on Twitter said. They were like, I just looked at that army for like 10 minutes and looking from model to model. And I was like, 
yes, that's exactly what I'm going for. Yeah. yeah I you, want you to I want you to be rewarded by looking at it. You find so look me at this little guy with the shield. Look at this little guy and see the skin's a little different. See how this weathering's a little different. Yeah. 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 It's, be, you should go on a journey. It's great stuff. I see you've got some uh some Nurgle goop on these guys too. <laughs> yeah. The whole army's goopy. They're like a, a bio warrior, bio chemical warriors, whatever. I think I'm lucky because I don't maybe I'm unlucky. I don't just have one thing that I need to do like mm. every day. I need to be learning. You need to be learning? Well see that I need to be learning. Which is why I'm a teacher. Because you're always learning when you're teaching, if you're if you're always a good learning. teacher. If you're a good teacher. I like yep. to pick new things and figure out what they're about. Learning. So learning a new system for a game is fun. So soapbox moment here before we move on to the next sort mm -hmm. of I guess it's a segment, it's a rant, but the next sort of thing I wanted to bring up. Um do you have any like hobby advice? Because I think like you you're pretty like you look at like you, Joe, me, and it's like a stepping, it's a literal stairs up to like your level and then I'm down on the bottom in terms of a hobby and progress. What's your like just, what, what's the, what's the like, you know, how do you know when a project's done? How do you, you know, move on? You know, what's, do you have any just soapbox moments you got? You already like nailed it a little bit earlier with a <laughs> something I'll be making a clip of, but. It's really hard, man. Everybody's like, do you mean technique tricks or motivation tricks? Uh, guest choice. Something you feel more authority, like, like you've more got the authority I, on. I feel like I really got better at painting when I knew I could paint fast. And everybody's at their own pace. It's what we say to all the children in the classroom too. Everybody's at their own pace. You're going to get better at your own pace. I am a trained artist. I have a BFA, I've for many, many years practiced looking at things. Practicing looking at things and identifying elements and principles of art will get you as much, if not more, as brush technique. See? Knowing, knowing exactly, having plans in mind and, and then practicing your techniques, of course, with intent in a learning zone with the intent of achieving something that you've identified maybe by looking at somebody else's picture. This is why I teach art analysis to the six-year-olds. They can do it. They can look at the lines. We practice analysis of elements, analysis of principles, and we practice techniques. Those are the three areas of art. And looking at things and thinking about things and giving yourself that language of elements and principles, elements being line, shape, form, texture, color, space, and perspective. Principles being how you put those elements together. That's kind of like the recipe. Elements, the ingredients. Principles are the recipe. Tactics and strategy. Principles being balance, contrast, uh, composition, movement. I can't remember. That I don't know. That's still awesome, though. I I think it's and yeah. Thinking about thinking about how to do those things to get the effect you want. How do you draw somebody's eye to the face of your model? It should be something you're 
always, always doing when you paint the mini? Well, if you're not studying the volumes, you don't know the miniature is a cylinder. When you shine light on a cylinder, it all goes to the front and the middle, straight down. So when you're painting, you highlight everything towards the middle. And each time you do it, you go a little bit less towards the middle, a little bit less towards the middle, up towards the face. So that way that value is going on the face and it's in contrast to the rest of the body, which doesn't have as much of the uh, what's as much of the light on it. So you see the face when you look at the model. It's thinking about arms or spheres. It's a cylinder. Your fist is a cube. And it's knowing where the light hits by just looking at things and then just practicing it like 20 or 30 times. And then you have it. Your hand will remember it too. So then you practice it by putting it in your head, by thinking about it. And then you practice with intent with your hand so it lives inside your body and your head. And that's what human beings do. We have a brain that can think of plans and then hands that can actualize those plans. So you got to work all of that. And you make your eye strong too. Practice your eye. And oh. practice painting up the... You just paint the volumes and then know a little bit of color theory. And you... Yep. And get a wet palette for fuck's sake. <laughs> get a wet palette for fuck's sake. And All just right. paint and just like get something out and don't worry about it being being perfect. All right, not bad, man. Not bad. Um, so then I had a... I guess I had a question for you when we came to this... Uh, when I asked you to come do this, which is like, do you have a pet model or like a, a like a rival model? And this is kind of changing gears from off of like the hobby a little bit and into like the game. And you have like a, a model you just like that's I, I guess I could do an example. Um, I really can't. I can. It's a lie. I actually really love my necromancer. Like I like I love in terms of. It's unfair in, in 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 Legion of Nagash because like you have to run a necromancer, but like I find myself because of my affection for like my necromancer, um, that I just love the model. I really have like a great just understanding of what his role is because of my interest in that. You know, like I'm like I love this necromancer um, so much, so I'll have him run up and bonk stuff with the staff. You know, to, to like <laughs> to do stuff. I love and, how everybody refers to the staff as a bomb. It's a bonk, the, the wizard bonk. bonk. With the staff. Yes, the wizard bonk. Do you do you have a pet model? Just something that like on the table. You're like, you know, this is. There's not there's not one model. It's all about. So in it's the Iron about... Jaws, when the weird knob was bad, I had to take him because he looked cool and he was different than the rest of the army. And if you take him out, the army doesn't look complete. It doesn't look good without that little plume of smoke. Hmm. You just have to have. I feel like a good army just, I really want to run 240 Plague Monks, but I just couldn't bear to put something so ugly on the table. They're all tiny. you got to have small, medium, and large. you got to have a variety of heroes. So if that means proxying some heroes for different models, then you can get it that way too. Um, but I, I ran the Mega Boss on foot too, even though, man, he's really let me down for my past 20 or so games. It's really not good. Um, oh, not even with the not I even with the Superman cape. With the Superman cape, well, I stopped running that because I took the Aether Quartz brooch instead. That was the the flying Mega Boss. First mistake. 
Yeah. And then you get to He's model the cape. cape on him. Yeah, you yeah. model the cape on him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's your first mistake. Yeah. So, yeah, so you got to have variety, man. And it. And for me, I will take a little bit less techy army, so to ensure that it looks good. Like I, when I ran the fifty yard boys and the art fits. I was I, I just couldn't bring 50 of the standard models at a certain point. Once you reach 20, I'm like, I got to start converting. They got to look different. They, it's that journey again. You got to go on a journey through the army. So for me, any army you're taking, the spam just doesn't look good to me. So I would try to, I would gravitate towards an army that has uh, a big variety of models. Right on. Righteous. All right. Yeah. Um. I don't, you have anything you'd like to end on? Anything you'd like to rant about? Something that's been a uh... you no, waited it's for a lot a of fun. I got a couple armies I'm working on. Come to Dragonfall and Skaven army. I got two thousand points. I got a bunch of Skavens, bunch of clan rats, plague monks, Jusales, acolytes, storm fiends, screaming bells, doom wheels. Everything is there. So you're gonna have this ready for Dragonfall? Yeah. Oh, damn. Awesome. I've got 20 more clan rats that I've done. Right on. Right on. Do you hobby every day? No, no. not recently. In the summer, I did. Um, I probably will start again. My job is very demanding. So when oh, I yeah. come home... Teaching. Oh, yeah. Kids. I usually just read and sit around. You got to recharge. Yeah, I should probably start painting for 30 minutes every evening, though. That's again. It's just like you just build a habit. Yeah, make write the schedule you want. You know, like is really mm-hmm. one of those basic like advice for like life management is just to like you can actually like write on your schedule, play video games if you want that to be part yeah. of your day. You know, right? You know, so just find time. And there's a. I need to get in the habit of doing the thirty a day thing. I think a lot of uh, I've seen it work wonders for a lot of people in the community. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like. It takes me one day to get, like, like where I don't do it. And I'm like, well, I guess I failed at that. And then I just, like, fuck off for, like, two weeks. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, okay, now it's I'll start. It's not as to... efficient as possible, so why bother, man? Why bother? I'm not I'm not at peak of, I'm not at peak efficiency right now, so why even yeah. try? Yeah. I paint I pretty fast, too. And once, like, a while back I realized that I could be happy with, like, ten minutes of work even. Just, like, getting a little bit of paint out. And working for 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, that feels really good. And it's it always seems like, oh, I'm going to paint. And it's like this big thing. It's like, no, dude, it should just be like ready to rock. All your stuff's in order. Throw a little paint on and work for 10 minutes and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, do you want to do any shout outs to anything? Anything you've been watching, reading, any? Oh, man. Um, this is the shameless self-promotion self-promotion. Moment. No, I got. I'm I'm reading some books, reading a bunch of sci-fi books right now. Right on. Watching Samurai Jack. That's what I'm watching. I might give uh, Twin Peaks: The Return another watch because I'm feeling the itch on that. <laughs> you gotta sell yourself, man. Um, come to uh, come to Dragonfall. Come see the army at Dragonfall. Maybe we'll get to play. Yeah, right on. Um, Maybe Friday night I could set up a game of the artifact at uh, Dragonfall. That'd be cool. Have the... That'd be a good one. Yeah. So I, I think it's awesome the way that, like, this hobby, I find it very 
connected to so much of, and I think that's one of those things that makes it different is just like, I, I find it these like, these like sort of circles within circles, like that are like constantly like looping in on each other, you know, the art, the narrative, the stuff like that. Like I, I run into people who, you know, are wrestling fans and love Age of Sigmar, and it's like their two There's favorite so many things. Wrestling fans. I know, like these, so these, many. These like overlaps the Venn diagram of like people with like these interests that like circle around Age of Sigmar, and I find those things like really awesome. But yeah, uh, uh, get some uh, get some photos of your army up on uh, on on Twitter. Be a little bit more shameless about it. You you do you some great work. You do some great work. Um, just steal one from This Joe. is my phone. <laughs> this is my camera. Trying to unplug right now. Yeah, my only other camera is uh, my film camera. Well, I have a Bolex too. You want some sixteen millimeter footage? Yeah, do real artsy. Get the get the color uh, the uh, the sort of neutral tone back backdrop. Oh, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Andrew. Andrew yells at, uh, at Andrew yells on Twitter. Uh, RL friend, uh, clubmate, kind of. I guess you know we, we tend to go. To no, a lot I'm of... the Wisco Kings. Yeah, yeah. We're I'm uh, I'm basically a mercenary right now. My quest to be a community ambassador. I I'm a man without a country. A man without a country. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us yeah, for man. the Rantcast. I'm gonna uh, go paint. I hope everybody enjoyed the double Andrews. Yeah, twice the Andrew, twice the doggo too today yeah. so you had double doggo double what's Andrews. your what's your next event my next event is circle city and then after that it's holy havoc i can't make dragonfall this year oh that's fine but wapaka too right oh yeah going for wapaka all right so, dude that means i won't see you in person till wapaka you're, yeah yeah i guess so that, that's a ways off we'll have to make it really count oh yeah definitely i'm going to wapaka to win baby because <laughs> that pack is right up my alley Going to Wapaka to win. I'm going. I'm going to Wapaka to debut the Bone Daddies, and yeah, and take and take Nagash's extract Nagash's price from the oh, field. Yeah. The tithe <laughs> must be paid. It must be paid. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us, Frank. I'm sorry you caught us in the tail end. Hopefully, you get the the VOD um, next week, Thursday. We're back to our normal time. I'm going to actually have Aegis, uh, AOS coach Anthony Magro on. So that'll be Thursday at seven o'clock, I believe. Um, y'all, y'all know where to find me on Twitter, uh, and that'll have the real schedule. Thanks for tuning in, Andrew. Thanks again. Yeah, man. Take care, everybody. <laughs>